Welcome to the Dharma Spring. So with our having held and still holding the koan, what is meditation? Just that question. What I had planned for a while, even before taking the break, doing the hiatus, was when coming back instead of every week talking just about the koan that we've been working with i just wanted to do other like more general talks perhaps and the first thing in my mind was really to talk about the uh the, the foundational meditation practices of the open source and kind of really go into those a little bit um so i thought it was great you know we have this what is meditation it's not meditation why not because it's alive and like I've said, with our explorations, we talk about these ideas we have about it and what we set up. And like I just said a few moments ago, that's not it. It's the alive thing. Well, here I am going to talk to you about ideas and what to set up. <laughs> so I'm going to, to invoke some, some thoughts about what meditation is, but not as, um, hmm, not as a building, not as a house, not as a place to go sit inside, but as gates to walk through, I think. That's how I see these um, and what happens when we walk through them. And then starting with the talk tonight, then we'll have some time to engage in those specific practices or just follow the aliveness of your meditation and then explore things together. Um, and these three practices, we have three main types of meditation. They're not like exclusively open source. You, you can find these in various Buddhist traditions, maybe in all Buddhist traditions. But each school, each place has its own spirit, its own flavor. So that's what I'm going to speak to, maybe a, a general type of meditation, but the spirit and the flavor of it in our tradition. Um, some, likely you're, you're very familiar with this, but maybe you'll, like I am always doing, you'll discover something new or something that you knew that you forgot that you knew, you know, it shines up again. Oh yeah, I forgot about that part of the practice and things like that. So the three names that I give to our foundational practices of meditation are concentration, awareness, and inquiry. Um, so I'll just go through those one by one. The concentration is the it's usually considered the, the entryway practice for a lot of people because it's that thing of following your breath, counting it or paying attention to the sensation or just saying silently in when you breathe in and out when you breathe out. Because of the mind jumping around so much, those practices can kind of help give it something to focus on and keep it entertained enough so maybe it doesn't take you on all those journeys that it usually does. What more often than not happens is you just become aware of how crazy busy your mind is, right? You're like, I'm trying to count to 10 and I can't get to three before I'm thinking about yesterday or 10 years from now or, you know, all that kind of stuff that happens. Um, so I think while there is that intention and, and the happening of counting and counting the breath or concentrating on an object visually, um, things like that, how it can help things settle. Another thing that it does that I think is more um, of its own 
<laughs> naturally occurring, spontaneous maybe, is it provides a backdrop. And the way I see that is I sit down and I'm going to count my breath. So there's my backdrop, there's my intention. And because I have that intention, I can better notice what I'm doing when I'm not doing that, yeah? It's like I have this contrast of counting the breath is supposed to happen, but instead all these thoughts are happening or I, I've spaced out and don't know where I was and all that. And because I've brought in this concentration backdrop, I can better see and notice that and get to know, oh, this is how I am. This is what happens for me. Return to one, start over and keep going like that, yeah? Um, and that's part of the process of the settling that happens. Um, <clears throat> things aren't just going to necessarily settle right away. Sometimes that does happen. Yeah. You just sit and there's been several people, the very first meditation session, they talk about, wow, that was great. I just put things down and they stopped and it was, oh, and I say, well, wait till next time. See what happens then. <laughs> In other words, don't get addicted to that. Don't set up that idea of this is what meditation is. Like, well, that was good, good experience to have, but it could also be, oh, I'm sorry you had that good experience first because guess what's coming next? Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it does seem to happen. It can, can happen right away. And over time, getting to know our mind allows space for our mind. We're not trying to manage it and stop our thoughts as we maybe thought we were supposed to. And we're not, um, yeah, not trying to control the space as much as just hold the space in an intentional way. And then maybe it's like when our thoughts are seen, when our self is seen in that way, it kind of goes, oh, you see me, I'll, I'll, I'll settle down and I'll calm down. And so what tends to happen with the concentration practice, with that settling is you feel more grounded and connected and just kind of, ah, and it can get to the point where the thoughts are there, but they're no longer like there in occupying the space as much as they're just there in the field of that space that you're holding. And when that starts to happen, it, you can kind of move into, if we do this like in an orderly fashion, you can move into the awareness practice, which is instead of having that more intentional space of focusing on something completely or concretely, with awareness, you just become more of the space that's holding things and you don't have any necessary, you don't necessarily have any intention other than let me hold a space for this. And it tends to be, you need to kind of do the concentration practice to settle and ground yourself before you can open up to that space. Sometimes if you try to go right to the spaciousness, if things are jumbly, you're just gonna have a big circus happening. <laughs> All the, the clowns and elephants out of control. Um, but just like with concentration practice, sometimes when you sit down, some people have the experience of my mind goes more crazy when I try to concentrate on my breath. So then if that's the case, if your mind's really going well, give it some space, open up the wide space, like a, instead of a room that you're holding an attention in, just become a big field. Yeah. Then you can notice maybe those thoughts are going to dance around a while, but they'll wear out, their energy will drop, they'll settle. Or if things are already kind of settled and grounded, they just kind of journey through the space, yeah? More quietly, drifting through, like fog, 
or smoke. <laughs> um, things just coming in, coming out, and not grabbing onto you, not trying to get your attention, nor are you trying to get theirs. You're just allowing the space to be there, open and spacious and vast, yeah? And then, yeah, back and forth with these two. So this isn't a progression like you do this for years and then you go to awareness and then you go to. These are just like a on a stool. All three legs can be used at any given time and maybe sometimes in combination. <clears throat> so with the uh, concentration, we tend to get settled and grounded. And then with the awareness practice, and I use awareness rather than mindfulness. Mindfulness might be a common word for use for that type of meditation. Um, partly because of what it's taken on to mean in popular culture, I don't use that so much. But mindfulness also implies being mindful of something in particular, if you take it to that extreme. Awareness is just like, that's happening without me being mindful. I'm not being aware, I am just awareness itself, the space that's there. So let me backtrack a little bit. Concentration helps us feel that grounded and settledness. And then awareness practice, we can kind of feel that open spaciousness. Yeah. Welcoming, open spaciousness, vast. And then we have the inquiry practice, which can uh, be its own thing or partner with either of the other two. And that's just at its basis, basic base level it's just curiosity to be interested in what's happening yeah um years ago joan said the all-purpose inquiry is huh <laughs> so as you're sitting in either type of whatever meditation is happening for you when things are happening you might just go huh <laughs> that's a good relationship huh i'm interested in this <clears throat> There can also be that thing where maybe you've got that spacious field that's there and you feel kind of settled and this one thought or a feeling, memory, something just keeps coming up. And though you're meeting it and allowing space for it to be and to drift away, it just keeps coming. It's kind of like a, a little kid coming and tugging on your pants, like, I need your attention. I need something. I need something. And if you notice that it's just there kind of nagging or persist persistent you can turn your attention and curiosity to it and a more formal way of um, engaging in inquiry is just to ask what is this what is this what is this what what is this you know all the different inflections of that <clears throat> so you're not asking it to explain what it is what are you doing here what's this about Give me an answer. It's more like asking a question of, huh, in a more formal way. What is this? I wonder what's happening here. And then with that spaciousness, allowing whatever that thought or feeling is, the memory, allowing it to speak to you when it's time for it to do so. Keep giving it the space and keep asking, what is this? Um, and let it respond. It may take a while for it responds, but it'll keep coming up. It'll keep at you. Um, until it's ready, if you can provide that generous space for it, yeah. And sometimes if it's particularly charged something, you can feel the pain of it or the heaviness of it, things like that. 
because you're you've created that hosting space you can ask how can i help so you're really offering assistance to yourself yeah what do you need yeah or what is needed you might say what is needed how can i help to your own experiences and then allowing them to reveal to you what is needed and what may help and then following that, it's like a, a good relationship, a conversation, uh, engagement that way, yeah. So that's kind of the the, um, the base level and natural kind of inquiries that arise just in our own experience. And then in our school, being a koan school, we have formal inquiry, as I call it, and that's the koan practice, the koan way. All these koans we take up, whether they're sweet and direct or strange and baffling, they're all invitations for us to get to know who we are, to see who we are. Um, they call forth things in us that we might be aware of them and notice them. On the very basic level, it's, I don't like this koan. That's something that comes forward. So you don't have to have uh, an appreciation for the koan. You don't have to like it. You'll notice if you don't like it, then you can go, huh, I wonder what that's about. There's that inquiry again. What is it I don't like about this? What is it that it bothers in me? What was I hoping it would be? And what, you know, all those kind of things. So any response to the koan is valid because it gives you a chance to understand yourself, to look at yourself. Yeah. Koans have taken on for a long time and still have this reputation of, I've got there's something to figure out and charge through here and open up and reveal. Sure, great, do that, but maybe tangentially. <laughs> or like we said earlier, um, a couple of days ago, somebody brought in that John Lennon quote, life is what's happening to you while you're busy making other plans. It's like your koan response is what's happening while you're thinking you're needing to figure out this koan. <laughs> while you're trying to get to the response, get to the answer, your actual responding to the koan is what's happening. And that's the opportunity there. That's what we engage in a lot here in the common way, yeah? That's why I say, just bring forward what's happening. Notice what's intimate and alive and real for you. Don't worry about being wise and getting something. Ah. <laughs> what's happening? What's your actual experience? And notice it, yeah? So the flavor of all the inquiry whether it's that base level natural stuff or koans, is that being engaged and curious about things and wondering, yeah? So if you take all three of these together, this is something that occurred to me a few years ago, and I'm still, I still talk about it from time to time. I'm promoting it. I'm testing it out to see. I wonder if this is true. So you get to walk around with this and see, well, do you find that this is true? This is that gateway into it's alive from our koan of this week. Because what is alive is our basic nature, our human nature, our Buddha nature, our awakened nature. And the field between us and that, which sounds weird to say, because how could there be a field between us and ourselves? But we create such things, yeah, in certain ways. <laughs> our own ideas about ourselves and the world and what practices, all that kind of stuff. Um, it gets cluttered over our lifetime when we come up with how we should be, who we should be, 
what things should be, where that, you know, all those ideas. And this practice of ours being a deconstructive practice, meaning we're not here to give you something to add to the pile or to get rid of one pile and replace it with another. It's like, let's look at the clutter. Let's look at the piles. Let's look at what we've constructed in our lives. Find out what's really necessary and let the rest fall away and open up to what's here at the beginning of it from the very beginning, naturally here. So our human nature, our awakened nature. And I would say at its essential point, at all points in our lives, <clears throat> our nature is grounded and settled, open and spacious and vast and engaged and curious, yeah? I think about the times where I'm not doing anything in particular. That's just what I find. That's, that's who I seem to be. My nature seems to be there without me needing to create that. And so if that's the case, these meditation practices that we engage in aren't creating groundedness, settledness, openness, spaciousness, curiosity, and engagement. They're clearing the way so that we may connect with what's naturally here. Yeah. And that's why we have these particular practices, not to have something to carry around, but to open it up and allow ourselves to come forth just like that. Yeah. Alive. <laughs> so yeah, that's what that's my my run through of what I find you know, at the, the foundational practices here in our tradition, which feels really light and joyful to realize, oh, I'm not having to create something to manufacture or to uh, maintain carry around and cart around and pull forward and use at certain times, I'm relieved of that responsibility. And it can take some time before, you know, those connections are made lastingly, but that doesn't matter. Maybe that's just five minutes of a day. You find you're, despite yourself, you're aware of what's happening. <laughs> and despite what's happening around you, you feel kind of grounded, grounded and settled. And you don't know why, and that's okay. You just notice it's there for however long. And so these practices, again, like I said in the beginning, are more like gateways to reconnecting, to, to engaging with ourselves, to allowing ourselves to come forward in such a way. And there's like a transformation with those practices when this happens, when that connection is made more... Hmm, solidly perhaps, or hmm, regularly. I used to, I guess this didn't come to mind until just now, but early on in meditation, I noticed, and I still notice, well, maybe I haven't noticed as much, but this idea came out of the, noticing that the more I meditated, the more that kind of space I enter into in my being of meditation followed me around into my day to day, yeah? First, I envisioned it like just a dog. The dog of meditation would be curled up with me when I'm sitting, and then as I made my way through the world, it kept walking off with me. It was just hanging around. Then maybe it saw a squirrel and took off. <laughs> but the other thing that occurred to me was, it felt like, and I like this image still, it felt like each time I was meditating, 
It was like this bridge being built that extended forward and backward, being built in both directions. And it was going backward towards the meditation that happened prior and forward to the next meditation that's going to happen until at some point the bridge is connected and it just became a bridge that you just keep walking on from one meditation to the next. It's one solid bridge or maybe a little rickety here and there, but it's like those it, somehow the connections of meditation built themselves just by showing up and giving the time for that to happen. So that one, yeah, maybe a little tangential thing or maybe not. But it's that thing of finding yourself being aware of things despite yourself and that feeling grounded and being curious about things that you didn't expect to be curious about naturally arising. And then the transformation that can happen is maybe initially taking up these practices with ideas of what's going to happen. They were kind of like a matchmaker, these meditation practices. I'm going to, you know, make a match between you and your true nature. And then once the match is made, you don't give up on the practices. They're, they just become companions and friends. You get to sit and do this stuff and just appreciate whatever's happening. And I think that's why it's a lifelong practice, this meditation. And those three practices aren't like, and then once you master them, levitation, whatever else, like those are the fundamental practices. And I really appreciate that from the very beginning, we're giving them, we're given them. Um, not like, here's the first stage, now the next stage, now the next stage. It's like, here's all three. Experiment with them. It may make sense to start with this one and then go to the next, but you have to figure out your own path. But here's the whole enchilada. And you can take as big a bite as you want all the time, right from the beginning. So all that being said, I was reflecting on our conversations of this week and how people were sharing their experiences during the hiatus of maybe not practicing sitting meditation as much as they wanted, but then noticing they were aware in the middle of doing everyday activities, there was that awareness of meditation that was no longer requiring them to be sitting to notice what was happening. Or, you know, people like, I wasn't sitting as much and I noticed I was grumpy and aggravated and that I, I should be sitting more because that helps. But then there's thing of, but I noticed that I was grumpy and aggravated. And uh, so are, are you sure you weren't practicing? I don't know. You noticed that and you saw how it affected you. Um, but all the conversations of this week have been of that nature of those three qualities of our basic nature showing up despite ourselves right in the middle of our lives. Thanks to uh, the practices we get to engage in with one another over and over again these uh, concentration, awareness, and inquiry practices that we're always doing it to some degree, yeah? So now, that's my proposal. Another little tangent. I, I at one point said, all of Buddhism, all of Zen, everything is theory and proposition. Nothing's like, this is the truth. Everything's just a theory, a, a hypothesis, a proposition. We get to check it out for ourselves and see. What do we find? The scientific method, all that kind of stuff, critical thinking. So with these three practices, we have our koan of this week for the inquiry. So we'll start, I'll start at the end of where I went earlier. So if you want to do inquiry practice with your meditation here in a moment, just 
repeat to yourself periodically the whole koan or just the part of it that get, grabs your attention. What is meditation? It isn't meditation. Why isn't it meditation? It's alive. Or it's alive? <laughs> no, you, you can play with that as your inquiry. Or your inquiry might just be that noticing what's happening and going, huh, what is this? Or just, hmm. In addition to that, or instead of, you might find the, that open, spacious awareness practice calling to you. Maybe you've had a bit of a day of doing and your body's tiredness and maybe your mind's tiredness is just like, let's all just sit down and open up and forget it. If that's the case, just sink into the space, expand, become the spacious vastness that you already are and just hold your experience in it. And or try a concentration practice, especially if you haven't done it for a while. You know, you might try counting your breath and see how it is these days. <laughs> again and again. Yeah, count your breath one to 10, back to one, or one to whatever you get to, then back to one. <laughs> or, you know, the simple breathe in and say in as you're breathing in and out as you're breathing out. Or even the more simple, really just paying attention to the sensation as it enters through your nostrils and, you know, really that concentration of following the breath in and then following it out creating the channel for it to flow, but let it find its own rhythm. And I trust that whatever you engage in, there will be something alive happening that we'll be able to talk about here in a bit. Thank you for listening. For more about Andrew Palmer and his teachings, please visit bowandroar.com and look for him on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.